Hello and welcome to No Sweat. As always, you can follow us at No Sweat Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And you can subscribe to us on your podcast app of choice. My name is Luca, and I'm joined today by our footy insider at Top 4 next year. Hello, Jim. G'day, mate. How are you? I'm doing very well. And hello, Dodd. Luca, good to be here again. And hello to JD. Oh, great to be here, Luke. Although, how come me and Dodd don't get like a little tag like Jim that does? Like he's footy insider. We need something. Can we get something for next week? John, when you do something notable, I'll add it on there. That hurts. Oh. That, that's one. Oh. That's one. That's a personal one as well. <laughs> didn't take long. No, he's going whack. No, it didn't. Have. And speaking of not taking long, let's go straight into the footy. Starting with the first of rescheduled games on Thursday night. With St. Kilda getting it done against Carlton at Marvel Stadium. Saints continued their good form so far this year. They're up to three out of four wins since the season restarts. And to be honest, Carlton were pretty bad in this game, but the Saints looked good again. We mentioned last week that sides need to start playing more attacking footy. St. Kilda does exactly that. They're really good to watch. Aggressive, fast, good footy. The other thing I liked about St. Kilda this week, they set up really well defensively to go along with that. They forced the Blues to kick long to packs instead of allowing the big Carlton forwards like Casbol, McCain, McGovern to get free. So that was really good on the opposite of their uh, attacking football as well. Looking at individual performances, for me, the best one of the day was BT. His commentary was hilarious. And even in the bad parts of the game, he kept it interesting. Sorry, man, I might have cut you off. There was there any uh, noticeable commentary that you wanted to quote there at all in particular having missed some of the game look he was he was ready to go from the start he okay. uh fired up at levi casbolt really early and drawed out this levi which which set the tone off really well for the rest Fair of the enough. night it was the subtlety <laughs> of the call <laughs> it didn't drop after that to be honest that good stuff turning over to players jack Steele was fantastic for saints he matched up on paddy cripps did a good job of keeping him quiet Ends up finishing with nine tackles and 23 touches of his own. So that was a big positive. The other one up forward, Max King was really good. Kicked another two goals for the Saints this week. And some more young boys stood out in the back half. In particular, Callum Wilkie and Nick Caulfield are really good too. Mm. Yeah, the, the little bit that I saw there of both Marshall and Caulfield, um, seemed to be a couple of good little pickups there by the um, by the Saints in that draft. I think seven and eight, they might have got done back to back, those two draft picks. Um, yeah, performed very well. Caulfield going to be a good good player for a long, long time. Yeah, their, their recruiting has been really good. We spoke about them a few weeks ago about their off-season pickups this year, but their drafting a few years ago has been, or in the last few years, has been really strong too. So they'll be pretty happy with those kids. Downside for the Sainters, Dan Hannery was injured. Uh, another hamstring, I think it was. So a bit of a negative point, but the Saints will be pretty happy with the way they're going at the moment. They're cruising through and they're looking really good. On to Friday night footy. We have another week where our man Jim is happy. Talk to us about the Friday night game, Jim. Yeah, it was actually a really good game. Um, I had to question whether or not Essendon knew there was a game at the MCG about five minutes into the first quarter. Um, they had just one uncontested possession up until about, I think, five minutes in. One uncontested possession to about 27, which obviously is, we all know that's simply not enough. Uh, but yeah, halfway through the, the first quarter, they just started putting some body on, hitting the contest, putting some pressure on the Collingwood ball carriers, and was it ended up being a really good, watchable first half. It may not have been very free flowing, but goodness me, boys, come on! It was real wet, wasn't it? And sometimes you just have to win ugly, don't you? And that's pretty much what the Bombers did. They ended up just adapting to the conditions a lot quicker than Collingwood did. I think um, during the game, we saw the emergence of younger players for the Bombers. Um, which provided that spark and actually provided a bit of accountability across the halfback line especially. Um, Braden Ham, who was on the wing, and Ridley on halfback were actually both really fantastic. Um, Ham has that energy and, that, and those footy smarts to stay in the game of AFL for a really long time. I actually really liked his game. And for Ridley, well, he has all the hallmarks, I'd say, of becoming an even better ball user than he is and a better lockdown halfback for even a decade. He's got everything there. Well, how, did, how did you guys view his game? Yeah, Ridley, um, I was upset because I was too scared to bring him in Supercoach this week and he <laughs> punished me because he was he was outstanding and he passes the eye test as well. Just his movements, the way he reads the play, um, kicks clean. He, he's, he's a keeper for sure. He's going to be a star for years to come, Jim. Yeah, he's really clean. And I think um, 
it was showed as well with uh, Dustin Flesher putting up a tweet saying how good he was, which was um good to see from old Inspector Gadget. Um, <laughs> but going back to Ham and Ridley, they both obviously need to put some muscle on, which is very noticeable when you look at them. But that'll come with time, obviously. So how, how that's not Ham? a big Ham is the same age as Walsh because it was taken last okay. year, so that'd be what twenty. Yeah, fair second year. And, well, for Collingwood, well, they continued their form in the fourth quarter as they did in the first quarter. And they actually brought it back to within two goals. But it was all a bit too late as the um, the Don stormed home. So we're going to move over to the umpiring, the contentious umpiring. <laughs> Oof. So as an Essendon supporter, I view myself as not very biased. Um, Darcy Moore is obviously a Collingwood player. He's one of my favorite players. And I actually love how Jaden Stevenson goes about it. If I was biased, I wouldn't like them as much as I did. <laughs> So firstly, for the Jordan Dugowie score <laughs> review, the decision on the night, I actually agree with. I think it was going to be hitting the post and I know a lot of people mm. are going to disagree. But from the angles, at the point of impact of the umpire, it was either going to keep bouncing out into the field of play or take oh. the um, the padding off the goalpost because it was bouncing at bounce and then it was about I to disagree. go. It was moving away from the goal I disagree. Line. It was going in, mate. Going Okay, it was going in. It looked like it was going into me. <laughs> yeah, from the aerial shot. But then when you actually look at the fall of the ball, the goal umpire had his back pinned to the, the goalpost and it hit him square in the chest. And if he wasn't there, it would have taken the padding off the post. I was loving this because I was getting screenshots from Essendon supporters that look like for sure it's going to hit the post <laughs> and then I got a screenshot from a Collingwood supporter and it looks like it's going in. <laughs> and I'm just trying to judge like which way is it. Is it going to go? But my understanding on the night was I was not a fan of it originally because I thought it was umpire's call. He called a goal, then they overruled mm-hmm. it. Yep. But um, I actually did a bit of research with this, boys, and the rule actually changed a few years ago um, when Eddie Betts was playing for the Crows. Eddie Betts would have kicked a goal if he didn't hit the umpire and the Crows, um, they, they overruled it. So Mark Evans, who was the AFL football operations manager at the time, said that from now on, it would allow umpires to, to decide what score would have resulted if the ball had not hit the umpire. So if they are unable to decide any video evidence that is inconclusive, the lesser score will result. So if it's inconclusive, mm. it's going to be behind. Oh, and that's what happened Friday night. So I agree with that. Don't particularly. Oh, you think it was inconclusive? Yeah. Is, that, is that where the sticking point was? So for me, I, I found it, yeah, I, you could argue both ways. You could argue it was going to hit the post, I believe, but you could make the argument as well that it would sneak in. So if it is inconclusive, the rule is now that the lesser score will be the correct decision. So my decision, I, at first I didn't like it, but now I realise what the rule is and, and I agree with that. That's pretty good actually because I was going to raise the aspect of cricket. So um, if the ball hits like an object that's being put on the like the helmet, sometimes they stash the helmet, it's instant five runs irrespective of where it might have been going, what it might have been doing. But if that's the case and that's the rule, then that's no problem. If they're not sure, yeah, min- minimal score. Or split the difference, go three-pointer. <laughs> then you just have people just, just pegging it at the, at the umpire. <laughs> the fourth column on the, the scoring yeah, sheet. Yeah, why not? While we're talking about this, boys, what are your thoughts on changing <laughs> – there's been a lot of talk about changing the rules – but um, allowing play on from the post or if you kick it, hits the post and goes in, it's a goal. Because in a lot of other sports – Soccer, rugby, hockey, you know, if it hits the post, it's its your luck, really. So do you reckon that would be it. good in the AFL? No, nah, I hate it. I, I don't like it. I like the idea that if it hits the post and continues through, it's a goal because then all of a sudden you no longer have to worry about the arc rubbish. If it hits the post and comes back in, it's a point. If it hits the post and goes through, I feel like it eliminate, eliminates a lot of human error as well. Yep. And if you're getting rid of it, you won't need a goal umpire then as well. And then they won't be standing in the way and, and, and causing all this controversy in the first place. If you start eliminating umpire error, yeah. then we may as well just scrap the holding the ball rule while we're at it and scrap throwing it as well. <laughs> but we are well, trying to scrap talking about that. Yeah, but we are trying to scrap umpire error. That's why we've got the cameras there, but that's not doing a good enough job. So why not just bring it down to, you know, physics? <laughs> I think the only problem, like imagine it was a kick after the siren and then it hit the post and bounced back in play. That's not play on, is it? So No, that'd be one that point. That could cause a bit of... One point. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, moving on with a further umpire decision, um, I was happy to see the AFL come out and say that the Snelling decision was incorrect because we all saw when it actually happened 
it, we all knew that that was not a free kick and it's good to say that was ratified pretty quickly. Talking of Trelaw, so Trelaw came back uh, in yeah. his first game and in Trelaw fashion he got 30 touches, which is pretty good. Uh, 74% game time as well, which is actually quite low, obviously managing him. So to get 30 touches off a decreased game and uh, – sorry, decreased quarters and decreased uh, game time, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Trelaw um, haters will be quick to note that it was at 40% efficiency, those 30 touches though. You can only do so much in your first game back if your name's Adam Trelaw. <laughs> he's inefficient by nature. That's true. Um, and also as well, I really liked um, Dacos' game. I think he's going to be taking it to the next level as well yep. sooner rather than later. And good news for Collingwood fans where his son, uh, his son, his brother is going to be apparently even better. So, yeah, quite mm-hmm. exciting. Um, Dylan Shew, I think he played really well. Um, he's The way I was describing as well, because people were saying that he's quite inefficient as well and just hacks it. I think his game has had to be modified a lot recently um, with how he's been played just out of necessity because of Essendon's midfield structure. Um, He's stuck between being an inside mid and an outside mid at the same time because he's had to do a bit of both while at the Dons just because of how bad the Essendon's inside game is. So I think he was caught in between, but he played really well. So if he can keep up that, then I think it'll be really good for him and the Dons. The thing I liked about Shields' game as well, Jim, is he had 29 touches, but 19 of them were kicks. So he's really increased that kick-to-handball ratio this year, it seems like. And mm. that's what Lockie Neal has done as well this year, which has elevated his game to another level. And I thought, I honestly thought that's the best game I've seen Shield play for the Bombers in a couple yeah. of years he's been there. He was great. Yeah, I agree. And I think as well, like graduating from that handball-first mentality, well, we'll talk about it later, but I think that's what Clayton Oliver's still stuck in as well. Yep. To a lesser extent. Um, moving on to Phillips. So, big flipper. Made his debut for the Bombers and he gave Bell Chambers a huge don't come Monday warning. I don't yeah. think Bell Chambers will play more than five more games this year. Ooh. Just out of resting Phillips if he gets injured or bringing Draper in because there's a few coming through, obviously being Draper and Phillips. And I just think Bell Chambers' body just... He's not. Re- he doesn't have that endurance anymore to keep going, to keep hitting pack after pack. So I think his best is clearly behind him. And the same with Zaharakis. I think his days are numbered as well. He only had two touches um, and Oof. he was just never really near it. He, only had, he was predominantly playing forward and only had 19 pressure acts. So for a forward pressure act team where you want to have that forward pressure, that's quite low and well below his historical average. Um, just a bit of news just to keep going. So the win was somewhat soured with Jackie Stringer obviously going down with a syndesmosis, the uh, the trend and the flavor of flavor of the month. Yeah, that's a shame because I think it was probably the best game I've seen Stringer play in, I don't know, at least two years from memory. I thought he looked really, really sharp on the day. And so that, that one will hurt a little bit. Oh, Jim, are you actually happy with the win as a Bombers supporter? <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Well, it's, yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> no, 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 from a, plain, from a plain point of view. Yeah, you take, actually, can I just mention, I'm going to quote you on my tombstone with what you said earlier. Oh, you've given me a, a quote. Which one was that one? So when I die on my tombstone, he won ugly. <laughs> <laughs> well, that means you have to win at something, JD. So, you got um, that right. Yeah, for Stringer, it's looking at least a couple of months, depending on if he elects to go for surgery or not. Uh, it's just time will tell just how long. But, yeah, it's just pretty much similar to what's happened to... About 20 players it, this week, it seems like. Yeah, yeah that's right. A few from the team. Like probably before that game, Dunkley was the most um, notable that had received one as well. So, yeah, it's sweeping around. Just for me as well, this this game just showed how how much I love footy in 2020, how a team can just flick the switch one week. They look terrible. The Bombers looked terrible against Carlton last week. No pressure at all. Carlton were getting anything they wanted. And then Collingwood were, were struggling with ball movement because Essendon's pressure this week was so intense. So yep. I love seeing that from the Bombers this week. Yeah, great point. Anyone can win any game. And that brings us nicely into Saturday where West Coast get their first win in the Gold Coast Hub, finally, against Sydney. They have been one of the biggest disappointments of this year so far. I think we can all agree. But this might be the first step to them turning it around they finally got this this win that they've really been fighting for. And it wasn't a great game of footy, so there's not a whole lot to talk about. The first half was pretty close. West Coast pulled away after halftime, and it was pretty much game over by that point. Sydney played without a Ruckman, which was weird. 
Nick Nat had whatever he wanted against Hayden McLean and Aaliyah Aaliyah for this game. The Swans only had 10 hitouts for the whole game versus West Coast's 46. So Nick Nat had 39 by himself and that was only on 70% game time. So that was pretty cruisy for them out of the midfield. The thing I liked most about this game though was West Coast young forwards. Jake Waterman played a really good game of footy. Terrible haircut, but a really good game of footy. Ripping kick on him, kicked two nice long goals, and Oscar Allen beside him kicked three and looked really useful too. Yeah, great point, Luke, because last week I, I covered the West Coast game and their forward line was terrible. They looked so predictable. They were just going to Kennedy only. None of the other guys got involved. But like you said, this week, Waterman, Jamie Cripps, Oscar Allen, it looked very much more dynamic this week, which was great. Yep. And while Kennedy still wasn't great, um, Darling kicked two goals. Kennedy stopped a goal with, with his face, which they won't be too happy about. But uh, if the young guys keep going, then it won't be as much of an issue when the older blokes can't fire for them. On the downside for the Eagles, uh, Captain Luke Shuey came off injured with a hamstring. Doesn't look too serious. They play Adelaide next week, so I don't think they'll be too concerned in the short term. And they'll be pretty happy they can get another win and go back to back two weeks in a row. How do you find Tim Kelly's game? So obviously it's been a few games since he's been in that midfield. How do you find that sort of dynamic working? Yeah, I... It's hard. I don't think I would say he was much more than okay. He did his job, but he wasn't an X factor. He wasn't as exciting as we know he can be. Um, he had 19 touches, which is which is all right. But I don't think I would say he really stood out too much. Sheed was probably their best midfielder on the day. And Yo, Yo was really good as well. Mm. But I don't think Kelly stood out too much. He was just all right, did his job, nothing special. Yeah, one thing from the game that I didn't like was the commentary. Not going to go too hard at Dwayne oh. Russell here. <laughs> but um, I, I did it. <laughs> I tried. Um, I did a bit of a count um, for one of the phrases that he mentioned a few times. So he said, "The sleeping giant of the comp is now awake <laughs> after West Coast, um, you know, just beat Sydney. You know, not a great team, but he, he mentioned that six times within a forty-minute period. Jeepers. So um, sleeping giant. That the competition the knows wow. that <laughs> the sleeping giant, the Eagles, they are awake now, boys. So it's repetition for emphasis, thoughts. <laughs> as long as they don't keep getting up off the canvas." <laughs> That's another one of his favourites. What's his other one? Dancing hips. Shake and bake. <laughs> shake and bake. Oh, yeah, anyway, shake come, and on. Yeah, come on. Not great, Dwayne. Lift, lift. Lift. Get some original material, mate. <laughs> All right, let's move it on to Saturday afternoon. Dodzy, you watched the Cats versus the Suns. Yeah, good game this one, boys. Um, just want to start by... Uh, Begrudgingly, but congratulating Joel Selwood on reaching 300, uh, 300 games. <laughs> Begrudgingly. Um, <laughs> no, he's a star of the game and, uh, yeah, good on him for getting to that mark. But um, Gazza as well, 350, um, arguably the best player of all time. And how good was it seeing him kick that goal from outside 50 yet again with a flaming three-meter run-up? Yeah. And he kicked it kicked it about 65 meters, I reckon, boys. That went about 10 rows deep down at uh, Cadinia. It's great, isn't it? So. It was good to see him and Joel get around uh, Matty Rao as well, boys, at the end of the game. Yeah. Uh, a bit of good sportsmanship there because obviously that was a, a big blow for the Suns and for the competition, I think, in general. He was one of the, the shining lights of not just the AFL but Flamin' 2020 in yeah. general, I think. But um, Rumour has that they're still replacing the divot that he made from his shoulder hitting the ground. <laughs> boys, everyone's been speaking about it. If he doesn't play another game for the year, does he win the Rising Star? Yes or no? No. No, no for me. Yeah, can't off, not a four games. He's been incredible, but I think you need to have a bit of a body of work bigger than five games to win that. So it's been a bit of a and topic of choice this week. Some bookies have already paid out on it, which is interesting. And I was going to say, just spare a thought for Sportsbet, who, yeah, they paid out. So that's even funnier. They paid out real early, but too early. I thought that despite Rao going down, boys, the Suns competed pretty well um, in this game. They were down early and they fought hard to come back and actually took the lead early in the third quarter, but Geelong were just too strong in the end. But a few players I, I like, boys, from, from this game, from both teams. Um, Mitch Duncan, lads, he's gone quietly mm. under the radar for a few years now, but I think this year he's really taken um, another step this year. And I think he's been Geelong's best midfielder, definitely, this year so far. And he was great again um, on Saturday. And it just makes for a more balanced midfield when they're not relying as much on Dangerfield, Selwood. You've got Menegola. You've got Mitch Duncan going in there. Parfit. It's looking quite well balanced. And Zach Tui boys as well. He was great. He had 20 disposals, but he had 17 kicks 
and he's actually second in the comp for meters gained. It's a popular um, stat on this podcast. <laughs> he's behind Mason Cotton. Nah, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> he's uh, he's second in the comp for uh, meters gained, only behind uh, your boy Luke Sam Doherty. So he was yep. great as well on the weekend. And just quickly for the for the Suns, Hugh Greenwood yet again. Um, hopefully Rashudo wasn't watching the game, but. He had a nice little double-double there with uh, 21 touches and 11 tackles. Bit of a b-ball <laughs> reference there because uh, Dusty and MJ are collaborating on a doco soon. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Ben King as well, boys. He looked dangerous. He yeah. kicked three in a limited uh, disposal because the Suns just couldn't get in get it in there enough. But he looked very dangerous every time he was near it. So I think he's the one to get on sports bet now that Rao's down. Yeah, both King boys very good this week in their two yep. two games. If we ever get to see them playing together, that would be a scary forward line to defend against. Is it too, too tall. tall by today's yeah. standards? Yeah. <laughs> uh, two, nah, two, two of them's okay. They're pretty mobile. They can run and jump. They're all yeah. right. Mm. That's that's really what it is. It's about the mobility. And for Ben King in particular, he's I think two o two, and he moves like he's one eighty. He's just r- real agile. It's incredible. Yeah, and their positioning's really good. They know how to use the body. Yeah. Having watched a little bit of that game, it did seem like as the game started to get away a little bit from the the Suns, they didn't lack the skills because they were still hitting targets, but it just seemed like they lacked a little bit of maturity um, in some of the choices they were making because you, you're watching that movement across the back line. They were good. They were using it, but they just that final choice to sort of go forward just wasn't quite there. And I think that's where a little bit of that uh, experience and milestone energy for the Cats um, sort of came to the fore and was able to run over the top, but they still look very, very good and will only get better, the Gold Coast Suns. I actually stopped watching the game after Raul got injured, so I'm just sick of footy now. <laughs> that. that was the last straw for me. So, <laughs> Nah, but uh, yeah, good win by the uh, Cats. Yeah, How many scalpels are they going to go through to cut through to Raul's shoulders, you reckon? <laughs> All of them. Get the chainsaw out. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> All right, next up, Johnny, is you. Yes, thanks for that, Luca. Um, I watched this game through tears. Uh, this was not a good game as an avid North supporter. Uh, terrible, terrible 50-metre penalty, which I felt really set the tone for the very first goal of uh, Bruce. One thing that I'd get annoyed about, um, the commentators before the game were talking up how Bruce hasn't had a good run at it. As soon as I hear that, I get nervous because North have a habit of playing people into form, and that is exactly what happened when Bruce absolutely <laughs> pants North with six goals. Um, sadly, Bailey Smith, uh, kibosh boys. I think we put the kibosh uh, again. Another one. Uh, Bailey Smith knocked out within the first few minutes and gone. Uh, Bontempelli, I think we'll sing in his praises. He had a rubbish game. Actually tagged quite well by Luke McDonald. Um, fairness where it's due. However, that mattered little for the end result. Um, North really, really struggling to get out of that back 50. Um, they held up for a certain amount of pressure but they just could not get it out of there. Um, and then when they did, the delivery was atrocious. Um, typical, I guess, North Melbourne Bulldogs games, very, very physical. Um, into that second quarter, again, the entries into 50, they were breaking out of the back half, but again, terrible. Um, Eastern Wood taking clunks left, right and centre. Um, and Caleb Daniel, I know we've spoken about his skills, um, but he, he looks about half a second faster with the ball than most other players or in that game he did anyway so composed yeah that's it just the brain speed um just tends to be a little bit quicker is that because he's closer to the ground or is that (laughs) in all seriousness does him being short does him being short actually add to his game i don't know um you could argue that brent Brent harvey was the same sort of boat i suppose in that shorter player you know being very more skillful being very more skillful yes Apparently (laughs) apparently they speak better as well um, North sort of resorted to that long ball and, yeah, like I said, they were, they were, the doggies were picking, picking that, those balls off left, right and centre. The contested marking was very good. Um, in fact, they were outmarked around the ground. Umps, not great. Not going to go there, though. Can't blame that. Uh, Tarrant, on the other hand, was fantastic, um, doing absolutely everything he could. However, I think the real – not to take anything away from the doggies, they, they were good and they got the job done. Like I said, Bond still had a quiet game and they still um, – Bloody Bruce. Um, just <laughs> dead set, six calls out of this dud. Um, I put the blame mainly on some of the more mature heads at North Melbourne for this game. Um, Hall was atrocious. Pittard, not great. McMillan, terrible. Um, I've never seen a bloke slip more tackles. 
um, or get slipped <laughs> in so many more tackles. Oh, dead set. He was turnstile, so it was ridiculous. People just going through him. Um, and Sean Atley, same deal. <laughs> um, again, guys with well over 150 games, um, they should be doing better than that to better. You sound really distraught about this game. I'm not sure. I think we might have to move on. It sounds like you're about to burst into tears. No, 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 no. We're good. We're good. Uh, I'm going to I'm gonna make a claim here, boys. We are we are missing Nick Larky right now because because we're we're trying to play the two ruck aspect with uh, Tristan Cherry uh, in the forward line. He, he's not a forward. He's he's a good young ruckman and he will be a good young ruckman. Good physical type, not a forward yet. Hasn't got the forward craft. Couple that with the fact that Ben Brown has been terrible, and we've been able to. Cope, I guess, with good delivery in the past, but our wingers, Higgins didn't have a good game either. Pollock, likewise. Um, so you look at the, the core mids, they were doing okay to get their hands on the ball, but the wing and the de- delivery was atrocious and Brown was just not providing any sort of marking outlet down the ground. I think he took one mark in the defensive 50, um, leading up, mind you. So it was, yeah, horrible. Let's try and cheer you up a little bit, John. Tell us a little bit about someone who doesn't get spoken about very much. Tell us a bit about Curtis Taylor. Oh, the youngster. Um, okay, he's a, a nephew of Shane Warne, believe it or not, um, through divorce though. Yeah, so anyways. Um, claim, to, claim to fame. <laughs> claim to fame. I'm not sure that's the information you were looking for. No, young Curtis <laughs> is very good. Um, it's funny actually they picked him on his draft night. Um, they actually invited him but he didn't get picked. Um, so that's a slip because they were expecting him to go much earlier than what he did. And I was very happy when North did pick him up, um, having watched his draft highlights. Very exciting type player. Uh, good spring in the legs. Can take a grab. I think that was that game. Might have been round one or maybe been one of the JLTs or whatever we're calling it this year. Um, took an absolute screamer. Um, and couple that with a very reliable, confident kick of the ball as well. Yeah, he was actually a shining light in many ways. Gives everything good around the ground as far as tackle pressure and what have you. Um, but you can't win off one young fella. Jedi, you know we're going to ask, but why yeah. did Rick Shaw play Ben Cunnington? Look, that's a good question. He looked all he looked out of all sorts. He, he did. He looked out of all sorts. He yeah, looked like he, he was in all sorts. Yeah. Um, I actually only jumped on the game a minute or two before it started, um, so I missed seeing some of that warm-up footage, um, and then they replayed it. He didn't look good. Um, if, if I'm honest, I had a bit of a... A cringy moment where it wound back to the older days where Brad Scott would actually try and put a rocker up Cunnington to make him play even when he was hurt and you could tell he was hurt and I hated it because you, you can't do that to him. You, you can't. You can, and it's not fair to him and it's not fair to the rest of the team and he did. He broke down. Um, the bloke could barely move. Um, he's not a fast mover at the best of times and he's a bloke that um, I think I might have said in our group chat we had going, he welcomes contact. Um, he actually invites it. That way he takes a player out because his hands are always going to get free. When you got back problems, you got people, you know, smashed into the back of you. It's the last thing you need. Wasn't a good. I, I don't know. It's either match committee choice gave him the call, and he's like, yeah, yeah, I'll push through it, or they've put the pressure on him to try and carry the team. Either way, it wasn't a good choice. Um, there was other options that they could have played: Paul Hearn, Aiden Bonner. Doesn't matter. Um, our young man there, Tim English, another great game by him. Um, he keeps getting better and better, and better. Um, I don't mind watching him play even with his little frumpy head thing that he's got going on. It's pretty good. <laughs> and a good response from the Doggies boys. We went pretty hard on them um, after their round two loss against St Kilda. So we've done a reverse kibosh. They've won three in a row. So impressive uh, response from the Doggies. And much needed, I would say. All right, up to Queensland, where we have a game that was really well hyped up and maybe didn't live up to the hype, Jim. Tell us about the Brisbane versus Port game. Yeah, I was actually really excited for this game and a lot of people were calling it the game of the round. But as we know, as we obviously know, it turns out to be very one-sided. In terms of actual gameplay, the one thing I did really notice um, when Brisbane were going forward is that Port's goal side defense from around 10 to 20 meters was absolutely atrocious. So, for example, there was a, there'd be a ball, ball come in, big pack form, and on three or four occasions, there'd be a, a Brisbane Lions player free just to roam the back of the pack and just score an easy goal. So I thought that was really something that could have easily been fixed by Hinkley, but I don't, just they didn't catch on to it um, quick enough, I don't think. And it turns out that they actually copped about four or five goals in the first half from just that fall of the ball stoppage pressure from Brisbane. And that was actually the margin at halftime. So 
it was obviously a reason for Port being so far down. And I actually really liked Brisbane's game in that forward 50. When it comes to Brisbane's actual forward line, I feel like I can't trust Eric Kipwood to do anything consistently other than be consistently average. He's so up and down, sometimes takes great marks, kicks great goals, or sometimes he'll miss from 20 meters out. It's just all over the shop for Hipwood. And I think that will just come with maturity when he actually gets a bit older, plays a few more games of footy. I reckon he'll be actually a lot better and be able to string some more consistent games together. Brisbane's repeat entries into their forward 50 were really damaging. Port Adelaide had absolutely no answer but to just bomb it long outside of, tra- outside of 50, straight to your, your Dan Riches, your Harris Andrews, and it just came straight back in every time. So it was just total dominance from Brisbane. We've harped on it a, a few times over these um, podcasts, boys, but it's pretty simple. Um, kicking straight wins games, doesn't it? And Port in the first quarter, they were, they were great. They came out and attacked Brisbane. They led all the major stats inside 50s, clearances, contested possessions, tackles but they just couldn't kick. They had six behinds at quarter time, one out on the full as well. So what could have been a two or three goal lead quite easily in that first quarter, they actually trailed the lines by a point. So that really hurt them moving forward. Yeah, and, and after quarter time, in terms of analytics of how the game was actually won, at quarter time, the Brisbane coaching staff acknowledged that Port always had an extra player at the stoppages. So what they did was they bought someone from the other side, of the other wing over to um, even up the contest, which is what Lockie Neal was saying after the game. And it proved to be obviously the saving grace for Brisbane because what happened was they were obviously evening up the numbers at the stoppage and they were allowing, they were denying Port to get that easy, quick sort of exit from the stoppage with that spare player. So I thought that's a real good coaching, coaching decision by Fags. In terms of Brisbane's actual midfield, their midfield was really good in comparison to Ports. So you got your obviously Lockie Neal, McGluggage, uh, Lyons and Berry. They were all real classy and clean when you compare them to so obviously Ports midfield being Boke, Houston, Ebert and Power Pepper to a lesser extent as well. Jared Berry himself had 66 pressure acts, which I know I've harped on a bit about pressure acts in the past as well. Is that a lot? Yeah. So it was the second highest of any player on out of all the Saturday games. So Parfit from Geelong was the highest with 68. In terms of Port Adelaide's dominant forward line that we've all heard of, Harris Andrews kept Dixon relatively quiet. Uh, and I really liked, in terms of Brisbane's forward line, I really liked McStay's game. He was just clunking and everything, and he ended up with eight marks, and it was just a real viable option for Brisbane going forward when either Hipwood or Cameron was um, tied up elsewhere. So we have to ask ourselves now, where to for the power? Where do you guys see them going? Are they, are they pretenders like every other year that we've seen them go to a fast start? Are they fortunate because of the opposition that they've faced in the first four or five games? Or are they a legitimate premiership chance? What do you reckon? No, I think they'll be all right. I think they're they're built pretty well. Every team's going to have a bad game here and there. And to have one against Brisbane, who are one of the best teams in the comp, I don't think they'll worry too much. Show back to business next week. And as long as they keep competing, I think they'll be okay come season's end. Um, It's a tough one. I think Port did what they had to do. They beat the lower teams early on. Um, They would have liked to have gotten a good result against the Lions. But I do think they're probably going to – they'll make the finals, but I don't think they're a contending – team to win it all yeah i tend to agree with you for mine i'd say that they're not top of the ladder material per se i'd say they're more they look more suited to a sort of a sixth to tenth position similar to last year i just can't really see them improving much on last year's output so obviously we've got the the three young guys and i think butters has taken a real real step this year he's been playing really well so shout out to him but i just don't see any sort of improvement from their whole team to push them from where they were last year to now premiership contenders. Yeah, I think we spoke about it in the lead up to the season though. You just take all the points you can get and if they keep winning, just giving themselves a chance, you never know on the day. They've shown that they've got that high end there and as long as they put themselves in that position, then they've got a chance of doing damage, I think. And it's good, like they've done well because they've been in a hub up in Brisbane. So they're going to have a string of games at home in Adelaide soon. So they're, they're probably going to finish top four, I'd say, just because of the way they've started the season. Yeah, and definitely. So getting the wins on the board is obviously very important. Having those home games is going to be real, real helpful for them. I just don't think that they're going to be able to stack it up in those big finals that we're going to be expecting coming up. But yeah, I don't think they're going to win the flag. But it'll be interesting to see what they do actually dish up when it comes to those finals. 
All right, and going from the most hyped game of the round to the stinker of the round with <laughs> the two winless clubs going head-to-head on Sunday, Adelaide versus Freo. I really don't want to talk about this game very much, so we'll bang through it really quickly. Adelaide, terrible. Freo finally got a win that they deserved. They haven't been so bad this year to be a zero-win team, so they'll be happy to get their first win on the board. Not many notable standouts from this game. Adelaide controlled the footy, but just can do absolutely nothing with it. Matt and Brad Crouch getting touches, doing nothing. Yeah, not good. Freo will be happy, though, and um, they'll move on with one win on the board and they'll keep their heads high. I just want to say another another great decision by the AFL to um, play this in prime time live for an American audience, putting two of the uh, top teams in the comp there. So uh, well done, uh, Gil and everyone else involved there. I think they've gone the girlfriend uh, aspect on the decision to broadcast that in the sense that if you can like me at my worst, you'll love me at my best. <laughs> <laughs> well, just adding to that, I'd also like to apologise to America for having to give them Dwayne Russell. Like obviously we've spoken uh, before about Dwayne, but yeah, yeah <laughs> apologies everyone over uh, in the States. Uh, while we're on Adelaide, not directly related to this game, but Sammy McClure released a really good article this week uh, detailing mm. a few more insights into the famous Adelaide camp from a couple of years ago. So I won't talk about it now because it's not related to this week's footy, but go ahead and read it. Go to The Age and and have a look over that article. It's got some very interesting little tidbits about where that camp went wrong. Short answer is everywhere. Are we getting paid for that little plug? <laughs> we should might, be. Might, might pop a little no sweat ad in The uh, in the Age this week, so keep your yeah. eyes peeled. That's all right. Yeah, I think we're going to find out a bit more about that famous camp over the next few years as well, so stay tuned for that one. But some good news for Freo boys. Um, the coach was on SEN this morning with uh, Jared and he, he said that Fife's looking good. He's expected to play this week. So that'll, that'll be a remarkable comeback to just miss one week. So hopefully Fife's back up and about for Freo this weekend. All right, from stinker to stinker, Sunday afternoon, JD, Melbourne, Richmond. What happened here? Oh, in a game where the uh, future Michael Jordan took the game by the scruff of the neck, Martin, mate, the bloke was cooked by halftime. I reckon this was not a good. <laughs> this was not a good game. This was a horrible game, to be honest. It was so trash to watch. Probably the only uh, interesting thing that came out of this was the amount of injuries um, to Richmond, <laughs> and the fact I suppose that they still got off the line, uh, over the line even. Uh, Nankervis ankle syndesmosis apparently. Uh, Prestia, syndesmosis, ankle, apparently. I've got a funny feeling Hardwick is doing a bit of cover-up job there and the results may pop out a little bit different. Don't know. Still to uh, TBA, I think, and the scans and what have you, as it's currently Monday. Uh, Cochin did uh, hammy. Lynch did a hand or a finger, broke that. Uh, there was a few others in there. Um, yeah, that was loosely interesting, I suppose. Otherwise, the game itself, uh, Lynch, I think, was missing absolute sitters. I don't know what's wrong with that bloke. That's two now for the season, two memorable ones for the season that he's absolutely just made a hash of. Um, I think Petrarca, they were pumping up his first quarter. Yeah, you got plenty of it, but uh, you can get as much of it as you like. He did nothing for the rest of the game, I think, for 14, oh. 14, 14, for, the, uh, 14 for the quarter. Yeah, 14 for the quarter, and yep. that's actually the most touches in a quarter by any player this year. So you've got to pay yep. kudos to something. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a bit harsh going ham at him. He was like their only decent player on the day. I'm not going ham. He just – they didn't win. Oh, Gorn was pretty good. Oh, you said he did nothing after quarter time. It's a bit No, rude. he did nothing. So he got 27 touches for the whole game, and he got 14 of those in the first quarter. And up until quarter time, the scores were relatively level, and then afterwards when they needed him to step up, they did nothing. So they kicked three goals in the first quarter. And five for the last three. I think the only thing that you could sort of say about his game that wasn't good was that he was only handball. He only kicked it seven yeah. times. So Dodd, you mentioned, right. mentioned that twice already about two players where they've kicked more. He handled it twenty times. So it's obviously not damaging possessions, you'd say, but they were damaging enough watching the game. And that's the thing, Jim. You mentioned damaging possessions. Does anyone from the D's midfield have a damaging possession in them? <laughs> we spoke about it briefly no. last week, but mm. yet again this week, boys, they went inside 50 at an efficiency of 32.6%, which great. is just terrible. Terrible. Yeah, not great. Not, and not Oliver looks worse that. and worse every week, doesn't he? Is it just me or does he look like he's taken a massive decline to his skills as a player? Yeah. Do you think – is that a development issue? They're trying to make him a bit more of an all-rounder and they're just playing him out of what he is. He's just a grunt player. 
Well, if you're making him an all-rounder, why is he still handballing the ball 18 times in a game? Like, Man, it's not really rounding else. out his game. He's sticking to his guns. No, it's not. But I think mentally they want him to be able to do a bit more, but it's just not happening. Well, I mean, you know, to think about it. That second of hesitation of what, you, what they want you to do versus what you naturally want to do. Yeah, we speak about the damaging midfield. We speak about metres gained a few times in this pod. Mm. Oliver, 26 touches, 250 metres gained. It's about mid-table in the in the um, rankings for this game. Not good enough for your prime midfielder. Oliver and Petrarca, they're two guns. They're not getting anywhere near as penetrating enough with the footy. And what you mentioned before, James, about Dylan Shield, how um, the Bombers are not sure you know, if he's an inside mid, outside mid. I feel like that's the problem for the Melbourne midfield in general. Um, they're all kind of a similar yeah. inside mid player. There's not much class on the outside. And watching the game, I have Jack Viney in my Supercoach team, which I'm, I'm <laughs> not proud to admit. Mm-hmm. But he, he, he was just standing there like an outside midfielder, not getting it. But he's not a penetrating kick either. So it looks like they've got a bit of an identity crisis there. They need, they need some guys that can run and carry and, and kick the pill. Yeah. So who yeah. are we looking at? We've got Harms. Not known for being a great kick. Viney, Brayshaw. Brayshaw's all right. Brayshaw's okay. Tomlinson, but again, they're all even just like Tomlinson. thinking. Tomlinson. Uh, <laughs> even Tomlinson. Um, just looking at frame size on these guys. They're all sort of same, same, aren't they? Even build-wise, so yeah. Yeah, very one-dimensional. Very much so. That's right. That's enough about Melbourne. The uh, To be honest, as a North supporter, the lower they finish, the higher the pick we get, so... <laughs> Go the Tigers. Come on, boys. Anyway, so going back to Melbourne's uh, kicking, the, one of their most famous players, so Gary Lyon this morning, came out and said in quotes, and this is quite a strong quote, and if I'm Simon Good and I'm looking at it and I'm really wanting to fix this part of our game, it says they can't kick, they haven't been able to kick for a long, long time. So if you're looking at the midfield, and obviously we're talking about their, uh, their 50s to goals conversion rate, if the if the forwards aren't getting good enough sort of delivery from the midfielders, how do you expect any sort of forward line to 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 score really? Because you've got Tom McDonald who looks like he's just going backwards. He doesn't look like he's ever going to get back no. to his 2018 form. You've got Malcolm who looks okay. You've got Lockhart who's playing everywhere. He's not playing forward, and it's just it just it looks like a mess. Their forward line yeah. is just a mess. So if they can't kick, then how did they do it in 2018? Because it's fair to say, what did they make? They made the prelim in 2018? So what yep. changed? They went from that to second last or something or rather the following year to the now, again, continually being rubbish. So what's changed for them? Well, this is the most worrying thing for me about Melbourne. Do we all agree that Richmond are not a very good side right now? They're definitely yes. a shadow of their former self. Yes. Right, okay. So flipping that onto Melbourne, you all know that I've – been following a team that's hardly won any games for the whole of my lifetime. And when you're supporting a losing team, you know the skills are not going to be good. But there's one bare minimum thing that you require of the players, and that's effort. Mm. And Melbourne may not have the kicking skills, but they're not backing that up with effort either. And David King made a really good point on Fox yesterday, and I think he said that they're just happy to be footballers. And I think it sounds pretty accurate because they don't look like they care. They've got no passion they're not really working hard. Even without the skills, they're not backing that up with that tenacity, that ferociousness that you expect from a team that did make the prelim two years ago and that should be on their way up. And you're, you've hit the nail on the head, Luca. Um, I think I heard on the radio today in 2018 when they made that prelim run, they were third or fourth in the comp for tackles. Um, any, any guesses for where they rank this year in tackles per game? Second last. Yeah, correct. You've been looking yeah. at the stats very well. <laughs> no, so like Adelaide said, are always going to be last. So it's <laughs> yeah, it's a safe bet. <laughs> so that, that says a bit as well, doesn't it, about that effort? Isn't it interesting that that was the very thing that Jack Watts got absolutely raked over the coals for, not having the appearance of urgency in his game, and now that's the very thing that's symptomatic across the club. I don't think that's a coincidence. And boy, could they use Jack Watts kicking the ball around exactly. the park right now because he could deliver the footy. Yeah. Just a couple of really damning stats about... Uh, what Melbourne are producing at the moment. Since 30th of June 2019, so that's a whole year ago, they have only won two games and those two games have only been against Carlton and both results combined was only a six points. Wow. So doesn't that just speak volumes to how far Melbourne have fallen really? 
They've won eight games since that prelim, and six of those games have been against Carlton, Gold Coast, and I think, I can't remember who the other team was, but there were three bottom-of-the-table teams. It's absolutely terrible. Is it is it a possibility that Goodwin's just not a very good coach? Maybe. So he took over he took over the reins from Paul Ruse, like 2017, 2018. Yeah. They probably were still playing Ruse's brand of football. Is it just possible yeah. that Goodwin just is not cut out for it? And it's, obviously it's quite harsh to sort of, for lack of a better term, demonise Simon Goodwin. <laughs> but there has to be a point where there's something that gives, that something's got to give there. But here's the other problem. If they do think that Goodwin can't coach, it's very difficult to move a coach on right now because the cap restrictions are getting even tighter. You can't afford to pay out a coach right now. They can't pay their own staff. They're not going to pay out a coach and bring in a new coach. This is not just Melbourne specifically, but other teams that are struggling. It's going to be interesting to see what they do, how they repair these down pieces of form in the future. Yeah, that's it. But on the plus side, at least he can apply for JobKeeper at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> but you got, just real quickly as well, if you have to look at it, if it's not if it's not Goodwin, then it's the team, and then you're in a real bad situation because they haven't obviously haven't drafted well. They're they obviously have a bad tra- track record of who they've drafted. They've bought in Tomlinson and Langdon, both which aren't both of which aren't great kicks. And as JD mentioned before, they're losing this their pick now to uh, to North. So you've got to see where where is it to go for Melbourne now. And this game was so bad that all the talk afterwards were about the hubs and uh, the two Richmond players that are not heading up. And I just loved watching Channel Seven um, interview um, Damien Hardwick, Dion Prestia, and Trent Cochin. Um, it was the same statement each time. So we've got uh, Basha Hooley and uh, Shane Edwards not entering the hub. Just no question. Can you expect the, the, the coach or the player? Like, how do you even respond to that? So I thought that was a bit interesting. And just to uh, ease your mind, boys, the AFL has actually um, devised a 40-page document for families oh, of players who have gone to the hubs. This is just one of my favorite parts. Um, we got a few tips from a um, bit of advice from uh, previous Olympians. But also the defense force, which is good. Mm, good to know. Good so to know. they're saying that they should text daily and save calls just for once or twice a week for partners. So <laughs> good to know for that, boys. See AFL giving relationship <laughs> advice. See, Dodd, can I just shout out appreciation there for the reading that 40 page document? You don't get this level of uh, commitment, dedication, and research from other podcasts. Well done. Before we move off of <laughs> before we move off of this game, yeah. I just want to give a quick um well, I wanna I wanna say good work to Lambert because his game was actually huge. I'm not going to say shout out, but his game was actually fantastic. So 27 touches, three goals, 158 super coach. He was everywhere. And when I was looking at the stats, I didn't realize how young he was. This is only his fourth or fifth season and he's already played a hundred games. It feels like he's been around for a lot longer than that. I thought he was Mm. pushing 250 games, but yeah. So I think he's actually one to watch for the future. So he's only played a hundred. He was drafted as a mature age though, wasn't he? I think he missed a few drafts, played in the VFL for a couple of years. Probably, but it feels like he's been in the system longer is what I'm trying to say as well. But it probably is because of his age, which is 28. On to the last game of the round, and this is you, Dodsey. Yeah, Hawks-Giants, uh, pretty good contest, boys. Um, the Hawks looked pretty good early on, but uh, story of um, the Port-Brisbane game as well, they just could not convert early on at all, and the Giants were just counterattacking quite easily. So the Giants pulled away um, pretty quickly, but then the Hawks made a little bit of a comeback. But the third quarter, boys, the Giants just turned it on for 10 minutes. They kicked five goals within a 10-minute period, and they just looked amazing. Here's a sneaky stat for you, boys. The Giants, they had 26 inside 50s, which led to 19 shots on goal. So that's a pretty impressive percentage of scores from inside 50s, actually Mm. the highest for a team since late 2017. So thanks to Rob Harding for that tweet because, uh, as you know, it's impossible to find advanced stats about the AFL. Yeah, That was good that he gave me that. But, <laughs> yeah, they, I like what they did as well. They made the Hawks look really slow in defense. Um, James Frawley, big boy McAvoy, not known for their speed. Um, so they actually isolated Himmelberg up top early on and they pushed up Cameron and um, Toby Green, kind of used them as decoys a little bit. And uh, Himmelberg was great. He kicked four. In Finlayson as well, he, he kicked four as well. So for me, it was a scary sight to see Cameron kick two late in the game, but 
they've just got so much talent, the Giants. We've been saying this for, for a while now. But for that, both those guys to kick four goals each um, was impressive. And just uh, one more player, boys, Nick Haynes as well. We haven't kiboshed him yet. We've been talking his praises quite a bit the last few weeks. And Your man. Give it a week. Yeah. And lo- <laughs> love me some Nick Haynes. He had 11 marks and seven again were off intercepts. So he, he was just reading the play like he did last week against the Pies. Um, he was unreal. And just that run and carry from Josh Kelly, Harry Perryman as well, and uh, Lockie Whitfield, just all class. And they were just slicing through the Hawks' uh, zone defense so easily with those precise kicking. How'd you find Kelly's game? Yeah, he was elite. I don't think there's another play in the comp that I like. enjoy watching more. Just the way he runs at full flight, he's just under control. It, all these movements under control. The way he runs, the way he kicks, it looks effortless. You know what I mean? Like, um, yeah, he was, he was outstanding again. Is he the best inside and outside player, the combo, in the league? It's a tough one. I'd say he's the cleanest. As far as being able to do both very well. Yeah, there's a few. I'd say Lockie Neal's definitely up there as well. Okay. He can do both. Um, yeah, he threw me under the bus there a bit. But yeah, he, he was uh, <laughs> <laughs> he, he was great again. But the, the Giants um, just so well balanced because you had Cornelio um, – getting most of the clearances, he doing the grunt work, but you had Kelly and Whitfield on the outside. Just that's what they do best, uh, run and carry, elite kicking. Um, just quickly as well, boys, the Hawks. Clarko, not a happy man last week. We heard a bit of talk about uh, the holding the ball interpretation as well. So I thought it was a bit ironic that um, this week the Giants got 10 free kicks for holding the ball. And uh, have a guess how many the Hawks got in this game. One. Just the one. <laughs> so uh, I think the umpires did a bit of uh, yeah, cop that one, Clarko. So that was uh, that was pretty funny to see. But just on that as well, boys, there was actually a 52% increase in holding the ball free kicks this yeah. week. So that's a joke. Like I'm just going to go on a bit of a rant here. But Strap yourselves in, guys. Like, <laughs> Clarko should not have that much power over the AFL. He can whinge all he wants. I don't care. But like how can the AFL – in one week, just change the way they, they interpret that call because yeah. the coach had a bit of a winch. Like, that's a joke, don't you reckon? Absolutely. Yeah, it is, but they, they put it under the guise of, oh, we sent out a memo. It's like, it's oh, we're just reminding them of what the rules are. It's not. It's a clear change. Can I just sort of tacking onto that, can I just give you an unusual stat? With this slight memo, what do you reckon the average losing margin of this round was? 30 points. 30 points. <laughs> was that's it the on highest. the dot? On the dot. Oh, wow. That's oh, actually cool. the highest... This season. Now, you consider that no team got belted by more than 48. To be honest, an average of 30 points across nine games, that's a pretty dour sort of round. Um, so going backwards, the last round, uh, in fairness, was about 28, but you go back again, uh, 18, 22. To get an average of 30 is a, some pretty boring games. In there. And there was. It wasn't a great week of football, if we're honest, as far as the game in, in its entirety. There was moments and what have you, but... I don't know, does that any credence there to the whole call that Clarko wanted more reward for effort? Well, when you look at it, was the holding the ball um, sort of change of meaning or interpretation, has that improved the state of the f- actual gameplay? I don't th- I think it looked identical to last week, plus there was just more contentious holding the ball decisions. Yeah. I think yeah. we can just go back yeah, to last right. week's interpretations. I actually disagree with you a bit, JD. I thought this week's games were quite quite good besides the Richmond Melbourne game and obviously the Adelaide game I thought most of the games were pretty competitive and uh, yeah I thought it was an improvement from last week but like you said it's this interpretation of holding the ball I don't know if you guys saw the Christian Petrarca um, one getting um, spoken to by the umpire on on Mike and yeah saying that you had uh, you had no prior but you you, you didn't show a, an attempt so basically admitting that mm. he had no prior yet he still gave the free kick so I feel like sometimes the umpires, they're, they're, they go into the game knowing that they have to call it a bit more. So if you, I feel like that they're kind of guessing a little bit almost beforehand. Yeah, they're looking, so, they're looking uh, for it. They're, they're, not, they're not judging based on the outcome. They're looking for it instead of actually seeing what happens in the play. Mm. That's right. And it's not a flow on effect of the game. It's, it's, um, it's like an unnatural free kick. And to say, to say to Petrarca that... Yeah, you had no prior, but you still didn't make a genuine effort. Like the guy had flaming six got, uh, guys hanging off him. You, what are you meant to do? Just drop the ball? Like, come on. 
Well, at this rate, incorrect disposals aren't being paid, so maybe that's a better way to go about it. I think it's a bit like a player being overcoached. I think the, here the umpires are being over-instructed and they're just getting yeah. confused. And it's, yeah, they're calling the occasional one, but they're missing a whole bunch of others and it just creates even yeah more havoc for the viewer. Yeah, one more uh, interesting story from a bit of a development from this game as well was Jonathan Patton. He actually um, didn't play and there was a bit of a News Corp um, scoop um, the day before the game that his foot injury, listen to this one, boys, it was uh, due to an infection suffered from spilling oil out of a frying pan. Oh. He was uh, cooking a bit of salmon just at home, a cheeky salmon. He spilt, uh, it doesn't specify what oil there, I'd assume. <laughs> what, what do you reckon, Johnny? You're the cooking man on this show. Uh, what he should have been salmon. using would have been extra virgin olive oil. Extra virgin, yeah. Yeah, that's so, what he should have been using on salmon because you don't want to, yeah. Good uh, low, flash, low flash a, point. Could have been some canola oil or something. That's what cooked his foot. <laughs> Look, it may have been. Um, yeah, but you don't want that sort of flavour going through your fish. So, yeah, no. Shades of shades of the office here with uh, Michael cooking his foot in the George <laughs> Foreman grill. He's doing his best uh, Michael Scott impersonation. Your waffle foot. Is the moral of the story so, just wear shoes in the kitchen? What's the what? <laughs> yeah, that's probably. How do you? Sorry, I've I've never spilt oil. You no, know, like it's the one hot. Like if there's anything in the kitchen, don't spill on yourself. It should be the hot oil that's sitting in the pan. Surely those WorkSafe ads from a few years ago done a number on him, and he's he should oh, he should know it. to be careful of this. He is a bit of a, a big gump. He's a bit dopey, old Jonathan Patton. So, um, but still, I've never I've never heard of any Caleb any Daniel bloke or any sports <laughs> any athlete having this kind of injury. But they actually brought it up to Clarko in the press after the game, trying to get a bit of a, a reaction there. And um, Clarko was great. He just said, "Not that I'm aware of." I just didn't want a bar of it. So that was good to see. So hopefully, Patton's uh, off the uh, utensils this week. No cooking for Patton for a few weeks. That's what Clarko reckons. <laughs> Well, next week he might have a chef to look after him up in the hubs. As we know, all the Vic clubs will be moving into state. There won't be any games played in Melbourne next week for the first time ever outside of finals, which is interesting. And that is this week done and dusted, which makes it time for Australia's favourite trivia segment, Footy IQ. And you all know how it works. The boys take turns to list the answers to a question or a prompt until they're all named. And if they get one wrong, they will hear an ah and they are out. Now, today, we mentioned earlier Gary Ablett played his 350th this week. So we're looking at the greats. All players who have played at least 350 games in AFL history, or in other words, the most games played in AFL history. So it gives you 16 names. Gaz will come in at equal 16th to pick from. And we will go in the order of Dodd, Jim, Johnny. Is it convenient that it's the first IQ John's been back in a few weeks and it's all going to be players from the 1970s or? <laughs> Maybe. Can you speak up, Dot? My hearing aid wasn't on there, mate. Sorry. <laughs> You'll hear an edit, mate. Yeah, thanks, mate. So most games played all time, they've all played at least 350, the top 16 all time. Let's go with. Uh... Oh, not including Gary Ablett, can I just say? One of the most overrated players of all time, Brent Hart. Don't do it. Don't do it. Okay, obviously correct. Number one on the list, 432 big ones. Jim. I mentioned him before, but let's go Mr. Dustin Fletcher. Yes, number four on the list, 400 on the dot. Johnny? I thought you were going to preface that with one of the most overrated players in history. Uh, <laughs> Kevin Bartlett. He is correct. Number three, 403 games. Let's go uh, Burgers, Sean Burgoyne. Yes, the only active player on the list, 380 games, number six at the moment, and he'll probably finish at number five at the end of the season. Okay. <laughs> so how many are there left? There are 12 left. Quite a, quite a few. And what's the game here? 350 plus. <laughs> 350 plus, yeah. Or just players who played the most games of all time. <laughs> Back foot early here, Jimbo. Yeah, all the they're ones all recognisable names. Obviously, um, some of them are a bit older. Some of them are not so old. I think they're only recognisable if you know them, though. <laughs> 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 this is a shambles. I'm stumped. I've got no idea. Um, wouldn't it be Kate. Yeah. No, Kate Simpson hasn't played. I'll just go Kate Simpson. 
hasn't paid through. Cade Simpson is the third most active after Burgoyne and Ablett, but that puts him down at number 30 overall at the moment, 330 Ooh. games. <clears throat> Johnny, can you Mr. knock Tuck. him out? Mr. Tuck. Oh, that's the one I was looking for. Mr. Tuck is number two on the Mr. list. Tuck. That's the the one age is working for. for Johnny here and we're rolling on. That's cool. That's five out of 16 done. Yep, 11 I'm out as well. Catches next week. <clears throat> Premiership hangover for me. <laughs> Three quarters of these blokes you couldn't even find on YouTube, Luca. What are you doing to us? This is, this is no good. <laughs> Man, I'm just respecting the greats stuff. here, though. Just respecting the greats. Um, let's go Robert Harvey. I'm sure he's up there as well. Ooh. He is number five on the list. And, Jim, you don't look happy about that one <laughs> as he slaps himself in the face. Johnny, what do you got? It's great for radio, that one. Uh, Adam, Adam Goods. Adam Goods is correct. Number nine on the list. 372 games. So that's seven out of 16 done. I'm going to go a bit recent as well. Hopefully got there. Let's go Matty Pavlich. Scrapes in number 15. <sighs> 353 games. Good call, Dodds. Jeez. What do you got, Johnny? Deep in thought, the great man. Yeah, no, nah, no. Nah. Look, I'm, 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 he's got too many to choose from. He doesn't know who to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm uh, fair to say I'm in a little bit of strife on this. We one. have said it takes a little while for the old man to warm up the memory. Yeah, that's it. That's it. <laughs> These guys are going to be upset with him afterwards. They're going to send you a few texts, Johnny. <laughs> yeah, I know. Why didn't you pick me? Where could mate? <laughs> Your contemporaries, John. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's not a text, mate. It's an MMS. <laughs> Go on, um, no, let's go. Uh, who's the big guy? Took lots of clunks for uh, St Kilda. Stewie Lowe. Lowe? He's not on the list. <clears throat> and don't know why I went for I don't know how many you got, but I can't find him a little no, way I don't down. Think it was that many. Can you get the win? There are. I'm going to go with. Oh, go, go on. on. No, you go, you go. I was just going to say there are <laughs> you guess, another man. eight names on the list. He was one of those last eight, someone who's played in, within the last 20 years. Just quick clue. Um, <laughs> Come on, yes, no help here. Yes, man. yes. Okay, cool. Let's go Nick Rewalt. Nick Rewalt, 300. Oh, crap. And 36 games. <clears throat> Number 22. So you both get another chance. John's been mulling over this for a little while. He's got a slight advantage here. Yeah, His memory no, might have no. kicked in for once. No, it's still stuck in the <laughs> might have turned the key over at this point. <laughs> Come on, one last chance, boys. Uh, Craig Bradley. Brattles. Brattles. Carlton legend. Yes. Has played 300 games. Yes. Has played 375. Thank you very it's much. It's number Jeez. eight on the list. Thank ding, ding, ding. Nice much. one, Johnny. Dodsy, need this one to stay in it. Second chance. What have you got? Have we have we said Andrew McLeod? We have not. Um, should I say that? That's what I want to know. <laughs> uh, with your tone there, I didn't like that, so I'm gonna, I'm going to skip him. I reckon. <laughs> um, let's go with Simon Black. Simon Black. Well, here's an interesting Crap. one. <laughs> Three hundred and twenty-two <laughs> games again. So. JD, congratulations. Taking it out. Look, a fitting category for a fitting man, my friends. Interestingly, that makes two wins each for all three boys. Oh, look, look at us. Can I just have one more guess? Oh, I've lost. Yeah, sure. Go for it. Was it Brad Johnson? Brad Johnson's number 11 on the list. Yep. Yeah, you're up there. 364 yeah. games. So I'll run through the list quickly. Number one, obviously, Brent Harvey. Number two, Michael Tuck. Kevin Bartlett. Dustin Fletcher. Robert Harvey. Sean Burgoyne. We all got those. Number seven, Simon Madden. Essendon legend, Jim. Yeah. Oh. Number eight, Brattles. Number nine, Adam Goods. Number 10, Bernie Quinlan. Played for Footscray mm. and Fitzroy. Uh, number 11, Brad, Brad Johnson, as you said, Dodds. Number 12, John Blakey. Yeah, Blake. Northman, Johnny. Yeah. Uh, number 13, the flying doormat, Bruce Dool. Best oh, haircut in the history yeah. of the AFL. Should've I was going to say that. Um, number 14, someone I think we all really enjoy his analysis of the game recently, Paul Ruse. Played 356 yeah, games for Fitzroy and Sydney. Forget about and his then, Fitzroy. Uh, Equal with Gaz to round out the list, 350 games, Dougie Hawkins. So mm. that's it. Good job, boys. Well done, JD. Tough one this week. But uh, even playing field from now on, two wins apiece for the boys. So good effort. 
and a clawback. It's good I feel to have like a this was a rigged segment to get Johnny back up and about with some old players. <laughs> well, we have to even it out somehow, don't we? <laughs> if I could get out of this chair, Dawn, you'd be in <laughs> All right, and with that done, that's us for another week. Thank you, as always, for joining. We'll be back next Tuesday with the stories from the non-Victorian games. As always, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at No Sweat Podcast. Hit that subscribe button on your podcast app of choice to stay up to date with us every week. You can follow Jim's work at Top 4 next year. You can follow me at Luca on Sport. And people have been asking, why don't the other two boys get shout-outs? What are their socials? Well, the answer is simple. The answer is simple. JD is scared of retaliation from people. He doesn't want to hear any feedback. And Dodd, well, Dodd doesn't need any more shout-outs, so we're all good. Oh, no. I'll give him my address. (laughs) Don't come down. <laughs> JD, I think you're in lockdown up there in Wallet anyway, mate. No, no one wants to go anywhere near that place. Promised land, mate. <laughs> All right. Thank you to Jim. Thank you to Dodd. Thank you to JD. We've been no sweat and we'll see you next week.